give a quick recap because it's the foundation of where we're going to be going for uh, a number of weeks. The whole series is called Choose Life. And I, I've shared before that at the end of last year, the word God really gave me for 2014 was life. And, and as I've walked through that and we read the verses in Deuteronomy 30, I'm going to read a couple of them, but, but those are significant. And, I, and, and God keeps bringing me back there all the time. And, and it says in Deuteronomy 30, I'm just going to read verses 19 and 20. It says, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life. So God's saying, okay, I'm putting a couple choices before you. If you're not sure which one to pick, let me tell you, choose life. And then he tells you why. That both you and your descendants may live that you may love the Lord your God, that you may obey His voice, that you may cling to Him, for He is your life and the length of your days, and that you may dwell in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. And then we jumped all the way over to the New Testament, the words of Jesus in John chapter 10, verse 10, says the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. Jesus speaking said, I have come that they may have life, and that they may have it more abundantly. So we talked about that. I mean, again, what did the thief come for? Kill, steal, and destroy. And who is the thief? Satan, the devil. And Jesus said that he's come for what? Life. And not just life, but even life more abundantly. So we talked about some of the ways that the thief, Satan, comes in to to steal, kill, and destroy in our value, our identity, who are we, our significance, our security. I mean, he comes in all the time trying to destroy those, to kill those, to take them away. But Jesus came to give us life in the same ways. He comes to give us value, to give us significance, to give us true security, to give us significance that aren't based on all the things that will come and go, but they're based on him. I gave a little bit of a lesson, I'm going to reiterate it, especially for those that weren't here, is that in the New Testament, there are three Greek words used for the word life. Um, One is bios, and we have a biology, uh, you know, PhD, uh, working on a PhD in biology, and that's where that comes from. Bios means life. And what is biology? The study of life, right? So every living thing on the planet has bios, that kind of life. The next kind of life is suke. And we talked about that. It's probably most of you, if you weren't here, would know that's where we get psychology, suke. And suke means uh, life, what it sounds like, psychology, the natural life of the soul that loves with emotion, decides with the will, rationalizes with the mind. It's the ability to think, to reason, consciousness, human consciousness, suke. So every living human being has suke. You don't have to be anybody. It's just any, any person born has suke, the ability to have life of the soul. But the one we're talking about here in John 10 is the word zoe. If you've ever been to our house, our dog's name is Zoe. Well, this is actually where it comes from. It means life. But this life is only used in the context of eternal life. Anywhere it is in the New Testament, it's the life that can only come in God through Christ. And does that just mean that we're going to spend eternity with God? No. It means He gives us eternal life 
right now and forever. It starts now. Did you realize that? Your eternity started the moment that you confess your sins and ask Jesus to be the Lord of your life. This is the life that we're talking about. In John 5, 24, Jesus says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life, again, Zoe, and shall not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Death and life. 2 Timothy chapter 1, I'm going to read just verse 10. It's talking about Jesus. said, But he has now, it has now been revealed by the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Now you might look and say, well, wait a minute, he didn't abolish death. I mean, people are still dying all around us, right? He's not talking about mortal death. He's not talking about mortal life. He's talking about immortal death and immortal life. That everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And depending on whether or not they confess Jesus as their Lord, is depending on whether they'll spend eternity separated from God, hell, or with God, heaven. This is what he's talking about. And he said, he's abolished it. Now, through the blood of Jesus, every person can miss hell and live for eternity in heaven. That's a really big deal. And this is what, this is what Jesus is saying. This is what God is talking about. All the way back there in Deuteronomy, he says, I've given you a choice. Death on one hand, life on the other. Blessing on one side, curse on the other. Choose life. Not just for you, but for you and your descendants. See, because the choices you make affect those that will come after you. We see it over and over again. And God said it this way. Curses will be upon you for, is it five generations? I should, I should remember that. I think, I think it's five generations. So what it's saying is, for you, your kids, your grandkids, your great-grandkids, and your great-great-grandkids are going to be punished and live under the curse of the actions that you did because you disobeyed God. Now, thank the Lord that can be broken in Jesus' name. We don't have to live under that curse because Jesus said He destroyed the curse. The curse of sin was dealt the death blow when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. Thank you, Jesus. But if we don't allow Jesus to break it, you're going to keep living under it, and your kids will live under it, and their kids will live under it. But thank the Lord, he says, but the blessings of the Lord will be upon you for thousands of generations. God says, man, the blessings will so far outweigh the curses. Thank you, Jesus. But he says, what are we going to choose? So over the next number of weeks, we're going to talk about what does it mean that God is the creator of life, the giver of life? That Jesus said, I've come to give you life and to give it abundantly. Because I believe that this affects the way that we walk things out in everyday life. Our belief about things like homosexuality, about sex outside of marriage, about marriage, about abortion, about euthanasia, about all of these things, I believe they come back to the thing we're talking about right here. What will we choose? See, a lot of people in the culture will say, Oh, you're so narrow-minded because you believe that the Bible was written thousands of years ago and it's really not, you know, it's not true for us today. No, 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 you're, you're missing it. The Word of God is alive. It doesn't have a timetable because God doesn't live in time and space. So whatever God says doesn't live in time and space, it's eternal. 
says what? The Word of God will never pass away. And we allow the culture to begin to define how we believe things rather than go, wait, 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 God is the giver of life. God's the creator of life. God's the only one that can give life, zoe, through Jesus Christ. And we talked about that a few weeks ago, how the image of God we were created in was broken. Sin has broken it in every one of our lives because of things we've done, things people have done to us. And the only thing that can restore that image of God to the way it was designed to be is the blood of Jesus Christ. So unless we walk through that, we can't have the life that is more abundantly. And so when we have a wrong perspective of that, then we begin to allow the culture to define terms for us. And then we don't know what to say. Because we don't want people to not like us. We don't want people to think badly about us. So all of a sudden, we begin to compromise what the Word of God says. I see pastor after pastor after pastor doing it. I see believer after believer after believer doing it. And you go, well, man, it sounds harsh. Well, no, it's not harsh. It actually comes because God knows better than we do. God loves us more than we do. How many of you know if someone brings you life, they should have a pretty big say of the way you live your life? I mean, how many times have you heard it, man? A mom will say, hey, I brought you into this world. I can take you out of this world. Right? But God says, I created you. Man, I have plans for you. They were written in my book before one of them came to be. But go ahead. You can live your life on your own and do whatever you want, but you're going to bring death and destruction because the enemy, Satan, is out to steal, kill, and destroy your life. He does not want you to spend eternal life with Jesus. He doesn't want you to live an eternal life right now. He wants you to join him in eternal darkness. That actually is what he desires. So believe it. When we do what the culture says, we're just allowing the lies that the enemy tells to determine our life and take away the life that we have in Christ. You go, well, that's pretty brutal. Well, it is. Because God, let me tell you what, man, I love those kids back there. And I would gladly give my life to them. My life for them. But sometimes, a lot of times, i got to tell them things they don't like. Because I want a good life for them. I don't want them to do things that bring destruction into their life. So if our Heavenly Father loves us far more than any earthly father can, any earthly mother can, do you think that maybe He would be motivated to do things in our life we might not understand or maybe not even like because we think we know better than Him? My son thinks he knows better than me. And I am keep telling him, buddy, I've been around a while. Believe it or not, I know a lot of things you don't know. Someday you may be smarter than me, but right now you are not. The truth of it is, we will never be smarter than God. Never. You know, he gives the analogy, man, my ways are so much higher than your ways. It's like absurd. It's absurd. He goes, what, the potter's going to tell the, I mean, the pot's going to tell the potter? I mean, what an absurd analogy. But God says, that's like us telling the master, the one that created us, what he should be doing with our life. So, It's important that we get this right because it becomes the foundation of our beliefs. If we don't have this right, then probably everything that we believe is somewhere skewed. And I watch it. I mean, there are, it's it's so crazy. I just go, how do you even get there? In any one of these subjects I just talked about. Pastor Ishtar, just the other night, how many of you know who Christian Mingle is? 
They're a Christian mingle. It's a you know, Christian online dating site. They did an internal survey where people could answer anonymously. And they found in millennials, this is eight kids 18 to 29. How many of you are 18 to 29? Most of you, okay? So it's you guys. And it said, yeah, I know you're not. <laughs> you used to be. You're close. You're close. You're on the borderline. You know, I think you went over the border, man. <laughs> but they asked them, who, who would be willing to have sex outside of marriage? You know what the answer was? 80%. All Bible-believing, born-again Christians. Another, I think it was 4%, said if they were engaged, they'd be okay with it. And there was another group, I think, too, wasn't there? When it was all said and done, more than 90% of them said they were okay with having sex outside of marriage. You go, wait a minute. What happened? Because you don't have a right understanding of what life in Christ is. You don't have a right understanding of the Zoe, the eternal life that Christ gave you through His death and resurrection. And there's something here we're missing. So we allow the culture to begin to define terms for us rather than what God says. Now, I pray that as we raise our children and as they get older, that they will make good choices. I know they'll, they will make some that aren't good choices, but I pray when it becomes a big thing that they will make right choices. Not because of what we told them, but because they know the Jesus that died for them. They understand that the life that they have in Christ, and they believe that even though I want something now, that if I wait, God's plan is better. But we live in a world of instant gratification. We want it all now. We want everything now. But God says, wait, because I got something better. We're like, no, no, I'll take this now. And then we bring all kinds of pain into our life that doesn't need to be there. Today, and I don't know if I'm, how far I'm going to get with this, but I want to talk about one of these big subjects. When Jesus says, or God says, choose life, not death. Did you know that we have a culture of death in our world? called abortion. And I want to ask a couple of questions. And please be honest. I, um, when you hear the term pro-life, what comes to mind? What do you think? Okay, not having abortion? Okay, anyone else? You know, again, give me whatever answer. I don't, I don't care. There's not... I'm Republican. Republican, okay. Picketers. Anything else? <clears throat> okay. Every human being's right to live. All right. Anyone else? Yeah. <laughs> they like life? Okay. All right, well, what about on the other side? When you hear the term pro-choice, what do you think? What comes to mind? <laughs> Democrat, okay. <clears throat> okay. Oh, okay, a way to condone abortion, but not saying I like to kill babies, okay. Responsibility, okay. 
What's that? Feminism. Okay. Well, how do you think that semantics or language has affected the, the conversation or even people's views on abortion? And I mean, that's across the board. I'm not saying on any side. I'm just saying overall. Okay. Any idea? Like how? <coughs> it sounds what? Pro-choice sounds positive. Okay. <coughs> okay. Sounds positive. Okay. Anyone else? Changes the conversation from what choice you're making to who's making the choice. Okay. Using words like fetus that disassociates it from being a baby, a person. Okay. <coughs> yeah. Right. Okay. It makes pro-choice sound like it's more intelligent or educated or somehow a harder decision, but pro-life would be easy. Well, you know, because uh, one of the things, and I'm going to use a word that, um, I, again, it's true on all sides, is propaganda. You know, that <clears throat> I believe there has been a lot of propaganda. And when I think about that, I mean, there's a number of things that come to mind, but probably the one that I think easily comes to mind, as, especially as it relates to the conversation about abortion, is, is the Holocaust. Um, I had the chance, uh, it was in 2007, to be in Jerusalem, and, and we went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. I've also been in the one in Los Angeles. But when you go through, if you've ever been to a Holocaust Museum, part of it is they show the propaganda that Hitler and the Nazi parties used. And they'll show that early on it was very subtle. They just subtly began to put it out there that the Jewish w people were, you know, they were dirty, they were this and they were that, and they began to dehumanize the Jewish people until it came to the point where they were so aggressive and had so sold their uh, propaganda that by and large most people agreed with them and had no problem. And so when they killed the Jews, what did they call it? They exterminated right? The Jewish people. They didn't use the word, we killed them. We didn't put them into ovens and burn them up. No, no. We exterminated them. What, what do we exterminate in our sort of normal, everyday culture? Pests, rodents, bugs, right? And when you look at what has happened, is, and somebody, several people have said this, is that the language has been, I think you, you said it with the word use a fetus, is to devalue the life of a baby. It, you, know, it, you know what's really interesting, we just found this out the other night, is uh, <clears throat> when Roe versus Wade was going on 40 years ago, 1973, um, they had this long court case before the Supreme Court, and they called in, I believe it was 171 doctors, 171 doctors, did you know not one of them was an embryologist? I mean, embryology is the study of when 
the sperm fertilizes the egg. And, and here's why. Because for over 100 years, it's been a proven fact by every embryologist, every child's science book that you pick up, that life begins at fertilization. A unique human being that will have everything they ever need to become everything they will ever become. And so you go, how could you not? Not one? I mean, 171 doctors. I mean, that's, that's a lot of doctors. And see, they've never invited in the whole discussion. You'll never hear the media ever talk to an embryologist. You will never hear anyone from that entire world, because it doesn't matter if they're believers, it's a proven scientific fact. Has been for over 100 years. And with the technology we have today, it's just even more proven, because they can actually see when the sperm actually fertilizes the egg. We can actually visibly watch that happen. And so we've dehumanized the baby. It's a tissue. It's a fetus. And so when someone goes to an abortion clinic, they don't kill a baby. What do they do? They terminate a pregnancy. Same exact language. What do we terminate? What do we exterminate? Things that are unwanted. Things that are unnecessary. Things we don't want in our world, pests, rodents, bugs. So language is really important. I mean, I think that we would all understand that whoever controls the language generally controls the conversation. And I think part of the problem is we as the church, we've not even been involved in the conversation. And so, by and large... Whoever's talking the loudest is controlling the conversation, and they're, they've changed the terms. And, and again, it's like, because I never even knew that. I didn't even know until recently that, that embryology, that this was a proven fact. I mean, there's no question. There's not, there's not an, as far as I can find, there's not an embryologist that would say, they may be pro-choice, but they, don't, they can't say it's not a life. It is a life, and it's a human life. It's not a dog. It's not a cat. It's not an elephant, it's a human life. So, some of the numbers, and I, 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 this actually, I wish I had the ability to, um, to actually pull this up. I'm going to pull it up on here just to read it. If you want to go and look at a, a website that will, um, I guess, bring the reality of this home and maybe sober you a little bit, it's called numberofabortions.com. And in it, there is an abortion clock. And it, it shows how many babies have died worldwide since you opened this page. Just now. I just opened it. It's already 30. 1, 32, 33, 34, 35. In the United States today, 1,650 today. Worldwide today, 55,000. And all of these numbers are coming from very conservative, most of them are from the Guttmacher Institute, which is the research arm of the Planned Parenthood. So these are coming from their numbers. These aren't numbers. Some people say, oh, that's just some conservative. No, it's not a conservative group. This is coming from them, their numbers. How many since 1973 in America? 57 million. But listen to this. Worldwide since 1980, 1.28 billion. Billion. There's like, how, how many people are in the world right now? Is there, is, there, is there 7 billion, somewhere 6 billion something, I think? 
So, so it's saying that almost a fourth, or a fifth, I guess it would be a fifth, of our population in the world is missing. Same thing would be true in the United States. We're around 300 million, 57 million are missing. The people who are supposed to be sitting next to you right now in church, the people who should be in college with you, the people who should be working with you, people who should be your friends, people who should be your uncles and your aunts or your cousins. You know, I've, I've been asking myself a lot, um, especially recently, is, is why, why is the church so silent? I mean, it's not like this is new. It's been going on for 40 years. Just here in Boston, in Massachusetts, in 2012, there were 19,501 abortions in, in Massachusetts. 60% of those were in Boston. Every day in the U.S., 3,315 abortions occur. In Washington, D.C., there are more abortions than live births. The same thing is true in New York City. Abortion represents a $700 million a year industry. At the end of the day, it's about dollars and cents. These people are making a lot of money off of killing babies. Massachusetts ranks 13 among the states in the United States for the number of abortions performed. Did you know that, this is, this is like such a, a sobering statistic, one out of three women by the age of 45 have had an abortion. One out of three. What this tells us is there are millions of women and men in our churches that are hurt, broken, and dying because we've not created a culture that is safe where they can actually come and find healing and wholeness in Jesus. I mean, by a a conservative estimate, there's... 40 million women and 40 million men who are post-abortive. That would be very conservative in America. In America. 80 million. Imagine if that, and this is what we get excited about, because imagine if that group gets set free. That's an army that's unstoppable for the kingdom of God. Unstoppable. Because when you've been set free, you want other people to be free. And whatever it is that they're in bondage to. Randy Alcorn said the abortion issue isn't about the church needing to speak to the world. It's about the church needing to speak to itself first and then to the world. That somehow um, Will Ford is is a a pastor and has a ministry, online ministry, and he says that this is the fig leaf of the church. That we just don't talk about it. We act like it doesn't happen. Listen to this. Are abortions only obtained by non-Christian women? When surveyed, 43% of women obtaining abortions identify themselves as Protestants and 27% identify themselves as Catholics. What this means is two-thirds of America's abortions are obtained by those with a Christian affiliation. Now, do they all know Jesus? No. But but listen to this statistic. 18% of them identify themselves as born-again or evangelical Christians, which equals one-quarter of a million abortions in Bible-believing churches. This is a problem in our churches. And I think it comes back to the same thing, that we're not doing a good job of understanding what it means that we have life in Christ. 
And so people are making decisions because of what the culture says or even the pressures that the church has put on them. Because let's be honest, it's one of the sins that all of a sudden if some woman finds herself pregnant and keeps the baby, everybody knows. Everybody else's sin, they can kind of keep it quiet. You know, you're addicted to pornography, most people aren't going to know about that. You're an alcoholic, most people aren't going to know about that. You're having sex outside marriage, most people aren't going to know about that. But it's the one sin that all of a sudden everybody knows about it. So the pressure even in the church is take care of it. Many pastors have had their own children and paid for them to have an abortion because they didn't want, they were worried about what it looked like for their ministry. What? We know the verses in Psalm 139. You know, God says, You formed my inner parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. I'll praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, marvelous at your works that my soul knows very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Your eyes saw my substance being yet unformed. And get this, and in your book they all were written, the days fashioned for me, when as yet there were none of them. See, God said, He knows this even before conception. We have value even before we're conceived, even before we're in our mother's womb, even before fertilization. That's what it says in Jeremiah. It says, The word of the Lord, chapter 1, verse 4, came to me saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. See, God gives us value even before, quote, life begins. But our culture has so devalued it that even life in the womb. Did you know in Massachusetts, it's legal to get an abortion up to 23, month, or 23 weeks and 6 days? 23 months. That, that, Jesse, that what you said, that's where you are. So imagine. Can you mind standing up for a second, Jesse? So at this stage, and there is no question when you see that on an ultrasound that it's a human baby. But we've so devalued life. Something that's interesting, and I'm going to finish up for today, kind of at the end of this point, is in Luke chapter 1, it's talking in verse 41, where uh, Mary's aunt, uh, a cousin Elizabeth, is pregnant with John the Baptist. And it says that when she goes to visit her cousin, that what? The babe in, leaped in her womb. The word for babe or baby there in Luke 1, 41 is brephos. Now jump to chapter 2, verse 16, and it's saying that when the shepherds went, they found Joseph and Mary and the babe or the baby in swaddling clothes in the manger. Guess what the word used for baby there in Greek is? Brephos. See, Scripture doesn't differentiate between the baby in the womb, in uterine, or the baby outside the womb. Because there is no difference. <clears throat> so, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to carry this on next week because we're going to get into some of the nuts and bolts because um, one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people, even a lot of believers, is, is really every life valuable? Well, what about, what about the incidences of incest and rape? You know, what about, you know, fetal abnormalities, Down syndrome, and you know the child's going to be born with all kinds of, you know, mental challenges. 
What about when a woman's life is in danger? What about those? And we're going to talk about them. Because I believe every life has value because God gave it life. The way they got to be there, a lot of times not orchestrated by God's best. But the life is created in His image. The life has value. And, you're gonna, and we're going to talk about some statistics that will, I think, blow your mind. It did mine when I heard them, and I had to really verify them because when it came to women who conceived through rape, I'll just leave you with this, that, that somewhere between only 20 to 30% of them choose abortion. That, that boggled my mind because 50% of unplanned pregnancies that are happened just in a normal way are, are aborted. So half as many women who conceive through rape choose abortion as women who just have it the normal way, and it's unplanned. That boggles my mind. But, that, but the number one, what's the number one reason people use for it to be legal? That's it. And yet a very small percentage of women that even includes, there's only 1% of women that have abortions that even are from incest and rape, so only 1%. And of that 1%, only 20 to 30% of them choose abortion. Yeah, I mean, it really it boggles my mind. Actually, I can't really comprehend it. But before we finish, how are you guys doing? How are you processing that? It's a lot of stuff. Anything going on in your heads, your hearts? Yeah. I don't think it's not just our generation. No generation does. No, in fact, to be honest, your generation's talking about it more than the older generation. Yeah. What's that? Yeah, yeah. Any of you that were 18 to 29, one-third of your generation is missing. One-third. That's sobering. That's sobering. So, um, so yeah, we'll close. We're going to get into you know some more of this next week and... And you will see, because there's actually, uh, there's a couple of videos that I'd actually like to show that we'll, we'll maybe set up the projector and stuff next week to, to be able to do that. But I want you to be praying, because I, I think the thing is, we talk about every one of these, and especially this, because one of the things I've come to realize, as I've done a lot more research and a lot more reading, that there's all, every one of these issues are important. I, I was just a part of the Justice Conference, which it's actually just happened this last weekend in L.A., but they uh, did a satellite feed at uh, Grace Chapel in Lexington. And so I, I got to go and speak and do a couple of workshops um, at it before. It was a pre-conference con- uh, workshop. And so I was talking about this. And they were talking about all different social issues. And every one of them are important. I mean, God cares about kids who are malnutritioned and dying. He cares about women that are being, you know, sex trafficked. He, ca- he cares about all those things. But somehow... Um, we, we kind of go missing on this. And, and, and I look at it and go, there isn't one other issue in our world today that literally affects every human on this planet. Every human. You can't have a fifth of our worldwide population disappear over 40 years and not have it affect every single person on the planet. What it tells us, if one out of three women have had an abortion by 45, is that there are people that you know that have had an abortion. It might be your mother. It might be your sister. We were at a church the other night and, and just sharing, and the pastor's wife came up 
and, and told uh, Pastor Ishtar that she just recently found out her mom had an abortion. Never knew. Never knew. Could be your aunt, your uncle. You know, it could be, you know, that your dad paid for an abortion. I mean, the, the reality of it is it, it affects every one of us. And there's so many men and women who are living under this guilt and shame in our churches because they're afraid to talk. We've not created an environment that's safe. We've not created a place where they can be honest and find the healing that's in Jesus. And so I look and I go, it's time. We've got to be opening up the conversation. Because every time we open up the conversation, even me as a man, women, the pain is so real, they're coming and talking to me. Me, a guy. And some of them in 35 years have never told anyone. And you go, the pain is so real. The first time when someone mentions it and opens the door, they go, I've got to talk to that person. So what do we need to do in the church? What's our response supposed to be? Because we're not going to yell, yell at people. We're not going to shoot people or blow up. You know, we're not going to do things like that. But do we even pray about it? Do we say, God, God, change this in our hearts? Because it's a heart issue. We're thankful that there's legislation that passes. But at the end of the day, the legislation means nothing if hearts don't change. And when hearts change, guess what? Everything begins to change. And this is a fundamental issue. Man, no, God's come that you would have life. And every day we wake up, God says, you got before you life and death. Which one are you going to choose? Please choose life. Please. Not just for you, but for all of your descendants. Lord Jesus, Lord, I pray, God, that you would stir us. God, a lot of things, not just what we're talking about today, but we're going to be talking about, they're uncomfortable. Because a lot of times we don't talk about them as the church.